sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Am I the only one who thinks this is totally insane? Rob, we're fighting theological injustice here. They're not using just weights and measures. He said we have 50 listeners. I think he's being generous. Read your Bible is interpreted by experts. Rob, are you as shocked as I am? It's nonsense. If you've given any money to this, you need to complain. You ask for your money back. I don't know about you, but I find this annoying. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb show, the show where theology matters, scholarship counts, and theology matters. My name is and Caleb And we drink Hague. out of Tor Resource mugs. Boom. My name is That's Caleb Hag. with me, talking over me. Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, buddy? Hello. Uh, how's it going, man? You had a good week or what? Yeah, it's warming I feel like, up here. I feel like we haven't talked. Rob, Rob no, and we I have, we haven't talked. Rob and I talked on Monday for about an hour, but it was all about my thesis and nothing else. I got some good stuff going. I'm, yeah, I'm excited. I've I've been. It has taken a very interesting turn for me. Uh, right now, I'm engrossed in this massive book. Uh, those, Home. yeah, they, they can't. Those who can't see, I'm holding up a 748 page book called "The Ancient Synagogue" by Lee Levine. The first thousand years. This is a pretty much a standard when it comes to uh, you know ancient synagogues. Uh, anyway, I, I never thought that uh, this this uh, this study of the Lord's Supper, as it is called, or the Eucharist, would bra- bring me to studying ancient synagogues. Um, who would have Who would have thunk? But it has. Who would have thunk that? Yeah, exactly. So let's get it all out of the way. Uh, the Robin Caleb Show is brought to you by TorResource.com. And uh, yeah, you can uh, find all sorts of great stuff there. Most of our stuff is uh, free at least at some point. All of it's free at some mm-hmm. point. Um, so go check it all out. You can also call the Torah Resource Radio comment line. There's a funny story about that later. Uh, that comment line, get ready for it. Get your piece of paper and your pen. 253-465-3205. It goes straight to a message. And uh, so call us. Tell us what you think. And uh, the Robin Caleb Show is also brought to you by Yeshua Shirts, YeshuaShirts.com. And the only reason that the, it's brought to you by them is because they're our really good friends. And they were smart enough to send us free stuff. <laughs> and they knew that if they sent us free stuff, they would uh, that we would talk about it on on air. So, uh, but it, but they were right. And open guess, invitation. Open, yeah. yeah, but but guess what? Yeshua Shirts also decided that they wanted to do something for our listeners too. So for uh, only for listeners of the Rob and Caleb show, you can get ten percent off at yeshuashirts.com. Simply put the coupon code TR Radio into the coupon box at checkout and save. It is not case sensitive. I have that on good authority. So yeshuashirts.com. <laughs> TR Radio is the coupon code. Get 10% off. And that should cover probably, I don't know, most of your shipping at least. That's, that's a good deal. Yeah. So, uh, funny, last week, Messianic Thug Life decided to make a video of us. And, uh, which, I mean, now my life is complete, right? But I got to say, uh, they picked, I don't know who runs that, that uh, Facebook page. But whoever's making those videos is pretty funny. But whoever's yeah, ma- pretty funny. But yeah. whoever's making those videos, uh, they chose the worst week. <clears throat> it was like the it was like the casual Wednesday of the Robin Caleb show <laughs> because we were wearing our Yeshua shirt stuff. We decided to Wow, oh yeah, you know what? But hey, they're prom- yeah, Yeshua shirt Yeshua shirt's getting promoted there too. <laughs> <laughs> you have arrived, the chat room says. Thank you, yes. Uh. Um, so, uh, within the video, which is posted on our Facebook page, by the way, you can go to the fa- our Facebook page and, uh, and it's brought a couple of new people. Uh, we've had some good questions from people who have never watched the show before. Um, and so thank you. Thank you. Thug life, messianic thug life. Somebody asked why thug life, you know, uh, I, 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 I don't know. They, uh, the kids started making videos of people who would, uh, 
intervene in fights or uh, or would uh, you know uh, do something spectacular, and they would uh, say thug life, and then glasses and hats and other things would fall from the sky and be put on them. And then uh, I think ref- reform thug life started, and it was any time that a teacher said something great in the reform community, and of course somebody picked it up and now made messianic thug life. Which, uh, there you go. Anyway, so thank you to the to the people over at Messianic, uh, Messianic Thug Life. That was uh, well, I I had a, a pretty good. My wife shared it, which uh, is funny. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, the fact that she watched it was funny. <laughs> what are you laughing at? It's you. What the the what we do here <laughs> it makes me laugh. It makes me laugh. I'm happy. I do think it's funny I'm that happy. your wife, dude. My wife has been saying, "What is Rob wearing?" Every time she sees a clip of the show, she's like, "What is Rob wearing?" I mean, the guy looks like he's on vacation in pajamas <laughs> all the time, or wearing Hawaiian shirts or whatever. And finally, your wife sees a clip and she says the same thing. <laughs> is this what people see? <laughs> yeah, Rob is constantly on vacation. The life of a of a scholar. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not. happy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. Well, anything else you want to get out of the way before, uh, I should say that, uh, you know, one last loose end, uh, at our programming desk, always at our programming desk is, uh, Gary Springer. Gary Springer Ba-doops. is not only, uh, the, the programmer for all of Torah resource radio. Um, and we'll talk about this in a little bit because, uh, we're going to get into, uh, we, we, ha- we haven't done this in probably, I think, uh, since season two, by the way, I had to go through and, and list all of the names of the Robin Caleb show all through all 100 and this is show 158. So I had to list them all for, uh, uh for so- a project that we're working on. And I saw some of the things that we've done, man, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but apparently it was anyway. Um, we're going to talk, it's been about two, two seasons since we've talked about, um, we start- should do we should co- comment on our old show. Like we should have a day where we have an old show and then we listen to our own clips and then we like interact with our own clips as if it was like something somebody sent us. Like, would we still agree with ourselves? No, like, we wouldn't. There, there's <laughs> I, I, seriously, there's a, there's the first two seasons are absolutely horrendous. They're, they're bad. <laughs> we we certainly were not in the groove. We didn't know what we were doing. We you know we need we need to find like the worst stuff from like season one. Well, people and pull, pe- pull clips and like interact with them. People might not realize this. One of the biggest breakthroughs of theology that I had was you know I, I for uh, for about two years I played with the idea of binitarian bi- binitarianism as opposed to trinitarianism. That is that the the father and the son. Uh, are are vav uh but that the spirit is just another name for God. That was that was the uh, what I was what I was kind of working out in my own my own faith. I didn't preach it. I didn't uh, I didn't write on it because I knew that it was such a sensitive subject that I didn't want to uh, I didn't want to lead anyone astray since I was not uh, convinced one way or the other myself. So right around the end of season two. Now we'd already done something on the Trinity, on the Trinity, and that, and so I'm sure that if we listen to that show again, I would, I would, uh, I would be very critical I, I of, see, of myself. I see Gemma, and now Gemma, you need to let us know if it's Gemma or Gemma. But I'm it's, saying it's Gemma. Gemma. It's Gemma. Oh, pardon me, then Gemma. Um, she says I've listened to you both hone your views. I love that, and this is why, is because. If we just go to, I don't know if, how many of you have listened to Mishlei, where Gary and I are going through the book of Proverbs, uh, verse by verse in Hebrew. Um, we see time and time again how chokmah, or wisdom, and bina, understanding, are, um, they, they require time, they require um, being on a learning curve. But the only way you can be on a learning curve is to dive in mm. and start doing. Yeah. Right? You yeah. gotta put your hand to the plow. You gotta if you're learning to swim, you can talk about it from the beach or, you know, from the side of the pool, but until you're in the water, you're not actually developing any new skill. And so uh, I'm glad to hear that that you can hear a honing of our 
of our uh, voice, I guess, or our voices over time. I, uh, that, to me, that's a, a good sign, and I hope that three years from now, we'll still be on that trajectory. Look at this. Somebody in the chat room, Peter in the chat room says, my number one change in doctrinal view comes from Torah resource about accepting Christians as non-apostates. Baruch Hashem. Right my on. work here is done. <laughs> that, I mean, honestly, that's, yes, praise the Lord on that. Okay, so, um, uh, but, uh, you know, I have had some major theological shifts in my in my views in the past 10 years. Uh, mm -hmm. One of them uh, is becoming a, a strong... Uh, what I would consider a strong Trinitarian. I know that the uh, I know that there are, that word has specific theologies that are attached to it, and so uh, you know I think once again putting a label on anything is is difficult. But uh, uh, but I, I would say that I'm a, a strong Trinitarian now. The other huge theological shift that I've had in the t past ten years, I used to fight my dad constantly on uh, on uh, uh, predestination and uh, the the doctrines of grace, which I think everyone who listens to this show now knows. Uh, that I am uh, a, a very strong supporter of the doctrines of grace and what many would call uh, Calvinism when it comes to when it comes to uh, his his view of of uh, how God saves people. Now, obviously, I disagree with uh, Calvin on many things, including his uh, eschatology and other things. But uh, when it comes to the doctrines of grace, I'm, I would consider myself a five-point Calvinist. Um, and that is not how it used to be. I fought my dad for almost 30 years on that. Um, even when I was young, I remember the, okay, rabbit trail. When I was, uh, when I was 15 years, 14 years old, I was in Mr. Posey's, uh, Sunday school class. Mr. Posey is still, uh, uh is still a good family friend. He's a lawyer, very good family friend. He was, uh, he was, uh, he went to the church that I was raised in fellowship Bible church. And, uh, he taught, he was our favorite teacher when it came to, uh, when it came to, uh, Sunday school, and he he taught junior high and, and senior high, and uh, I remember one year, at the beginning of the year, I think I was fourteen years old. He handed everybody a piece of paper, and he said, "Do you believe that uh, that God chooses you to go to heaven or hell?" And I remember writing down the reasons why I thought that was would be absolutely ridiculous for God to do that. No, of course not. It's our choice. Blah blah blah. And thus started the debate between my father and I at 14 years old. I remember it very vividly. Anyway, okay. So that was also another – so people – a lot in some of the emails that we get, people will say, oh, you're so pompous. You think you're so right about everything. Uh, you know, you're not right about everything. Yeah, you're right. I completely agree with that. Um, I, I strongly I, – I have strong views that have changed in my lifetime. Another one, this is not theologically, uh, uh, doesn't, isn't a theological hinge, but it uh, was the, the passion chronology, of course, which my father, I also fought my father on for, for many, many years. Um, and uh, because of his work and, and also other people's work, I have seen the light. Okay. But well, also that's your work. Now it is my work. I mean, what I mean is that, what you're demonstrating is the same point is that, you know, some people, they, they might hear like another kid, let's say that was in the same Sunday school class mm -hmm. might hear that God is sovereign and they just, they, and then they have a bad experience with the church and then they just say, I'm out of here. And they don't even, they, they take the offense as like a permission to abandon, abandon ship. and not, and not yeah. stay engaged and to not wrestle. So Baruch Hashem, for those who stay and and wrestle it out, and you know, it's it's good. And then you because that's how we get ownership, right? That's how we we get an ownership. One of yeah. the things I, I I had this great idea every once in a while. It's like okay, I, I, that's a tweet worthy thing. Uh, was it this morning or last night? The idea is when when we seek to to always put God first. When we say, you know what, I care more about God's perspective than what man, than, than fear of men, right? I, I'm more interested in, in loving God and being acceptable to him than I am loving men and, and being, trying to be acceptable to men. But when you do that, you're, that's the, that's the narrow road, the narrow road of having to now differentiate between the word of God 
and the traditions of men. And we're all playing, we all come into the world in a place where we've got this kind of, we got this mixture, right? I mean, cause you, we have, we receive both. You can't pick up a Bible. Let's say I have one English Bible, you know, it's, it's got, uh, traditions of men is all involved in its, all the million of decisions that go into producing that Bible, word translation, you know, commentary, whatever. And so it's on me then. How do I start? If all I have is just one Bible, hmm. how do I start? Well, you have to, there's no other way but just to dive in and to start thinking thoughts. You have to start thinking about the Bible. You have to start uh, chewing on it. Of course, uh, you know, that could be, um, you know, I, I would say someone might not even have to have faith yet and they could have an intellectual engagement and still start to learn. Um, I don't know. This is kind of a side trail, but so, go ahead. But, but, but it takes time. It, that right. discernment takes time, takes perseverance. You have to stick to it and you start having to evaluate what hill, yeah. do, you know, what hills am, am I not going to fight on? You know, what, what races do I have a horse in and what races, you know, and which ones do I not really care about? Because we have to prioritize the pressures of life, the pressures of being in this world, limited resources, and you know we have to prioritize. And Yeshua gives us the the basic orientation to the Torah is is the Shema, and then first and foremost, and then the second is like it, and everything else he says unpacks from there or hangs upon those, and. That's our core orientation to, to God. And, and so study of his word, the Bible, and discernment of, you know, between the, you get into the weeds of this tradition interprets it this way, this tradition interprets it that way. That's just, that's just part of the deal. And, and it, it's, sometimes it sucks. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's really hard. But you got to stick with it. And you got to have patience. So there's a uh, there's some things going on in the chat room here. I want to I want to touch on real quick. Um, first of all, Gemma says, "Oh, the Passion chronology is a huge subject for my husband and I right now. I printed Tim's article about the chronology." Okay, so um, my father wrote his article on the chronology, and then after that, um, uh, Brant Petrie came out with his book. I've been uh, studying Brant's work uh, now since I bought it at the ETS and SBL meeting. It's called Jesus in the Last Supper. Brant Petrie, Dr. Brant Petrie, is a uh, Roman Catholic. He teaches at uh, he teaches New Testament at uh, at Notre Dame. Uh, knowing if you know that going in, actually, if you didn't know that going in, I think you'd be surprised once in reading his book that that's his that that is where he comes from. However, his life's work has been on the Last Supper. Uh, he brings out some very, very interesting things. Some things I certainly disagree with in the book. However, chapter four in his book is 100 pages long. It is essentially the exact same argument of as my father's uh, uh, idea of the chronology, except for the thing that Brandt does brilliantly in, in uh, chapter four is he lays out all of the different the four major theologies when it comes to the chronology of the passion. Uh, that is the, the John view, the synoptic view, um, the historic, uh, uh, the non-historic view. And then what he has deemed him, he ha I believe he's made the title himself of the, uh, the Passover view. And uh, this is the view that my father also has, uh, has spoke of in his, in his writings as well. Anyway, uh, if nothing else, if for nothing else, um, it is worth the money. I think you can find uh, Brant's book used on certain sites for about thirty-five dollars. I I would certainly recommend Chapter Four in that book for that. Also, Lois said something in the chat room. I want she said the the greatest part of the, uh, the the greatest part of the Passion chronology is that he arose. I agree, kind of. I would say that there there are three three parts that are equally as important that. God on earth died. First of all, that should be mind-blowing. Second, that he rose, equally as mind-blowing. And that he died unjustly. In other words, yeah, exactly. there was a cur curses <clears throat> that the Torah actually condemned him, ironically, because he was hanging on, he 
hung on a tree. According and, to Paul. And, and then number th- number three is that he ascended to the Father and that he continues even today to make intercession for the elect, right? Okay. What? Amen. What? What? Okay. Uh, we are Holla. we are so off topic. Not, <laughs> not that that matters. That's fine. Um, oh, did I give you the... Uh, did I give everybody the... Uh... Jesus in the Last Supper, by the way, is Brant Petrie's book uh, that I was referencing. Jesus in the Last Supper. It is, uh, it is a dynamite book. And actually, I wanted to have uh, Dr. Petrie on the show. Every year, we have my father on usually to talk about the chronology of the pa- Passion Week. We do that during the, the week of Passover usually. And it's our Passover special. And this year, I thought it would be fun to bring Dr. Petrie on to, to give us a rundown of, of the four major. Basically, that would doing, be. Did you yeah. ask him? Well, I asked my dad if it would be okay to have a Roman Catholic on the show. <laughs> and he said, well, let's pray and talk about it. <clears throat> Obviously, uh, for us to bring a Roman Catholic onto this show would, uh, a lot of our, a lot of people would probably, uh, to balk at that. Uh, however, I think that, uh, but we're not coming, we're, we're, we're asking about his scholarship, which is really independent of, I mean, ideology. Yeah, I, 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 ideally, I agree. obviously, he's they're, they're connected, but I'll ask him um, when my, I'll ask him, I'll ask him next week again. Anyway, so th- I think that would be fun. I think it'd be fun to have uh, Dr. Petrie on, especially seeing as though I'm, I'm really uh, uh, using his book a lot in my thesis. Him and uh, there are several other scholars that I'm resting heavily upon. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, so, uh, well, I guess the next thing to do is to open up the uh, the Robin Caleb Show mailbag. Let's do it. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. here. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, we've been going. I've been going back and forth with a uh, gentleman on Paleo Hebrew, which has obviously bled over into this show. Um, and uh, so we've talked about not just Paleo Hebrew, uh, but but the uh, Hebrew word pictures more specifically. Um, and and uh, this young man, I, I think he's a young man, who knows? He doesn't have any pictures on his uh, Facebook profile. But uh, uh, he's his name is Carlos. Carlos says this, and, and this is quite a long message, but I'm going to read the whole thing because I, I want... Now, I did take out two, two little parts uh, at the end, but uh, just to save some space. But um, here's, here's his message. He says, uh, listening to the show, something finally dawned on me. I used to listen to the late Chuck Smith from Calvary Chapel, Costa, Costa Mesa, on a show called Pastor's Perspective. He was often asked about the topic of tattoos. Should Christians allow themselves tattoos? His answer was always the same, quoting the verse in the Torah about not making... Uh, marking or cutting one's skin for the dead. Then he would say, but as long as you get nice things, heavenly tattoos, I guess it would be okay. As a person who has come to Torah, you can imagine me shouting to the radio why he uh, would say tattoos are okay until one day he revealed that his son owns a tattoo parlor. Of course, he would say it's okay to tattoo one's body. Otherwise, he would bankrupt his son's business. Uh, this okay. This, this makes that's, this makes zero sense to me. Um, yeah, that that's it. That's uh, what's the guy's name? Carlos. Who's email? That's Carlos's. He's in. That's his. That's, that's his a presumption. Yeah, of course. That's okay. a presumption. So so he said he goes on. Why do I mention this? I realize the same thing with your father, Tim Haig, whom I have the utmost respect. He is the president of Torah Resource Institute. Your show is a show. I would bet one of your program's objectives is to get listeners to want to be students at Torah Resource Institute. I listen to your program because I find your show entertaining at times. At times I agree with you, and at times I don't. I don't hate you guys, I just disagree with you at times. But now I understand why you do what you do, and it's kind of backhanded, using the Word of God to entice people to Torah Resource Institute instead of promoting the gospel for the sake of Messiah and his kingdom. So so what what, what this person is positing, if I'm hearing them correctly, and I, I remember reading this, is um, it's almost like an accusation. Rob and Caleb, you should be promoting the Word of God, God's truth, but instead you're enticing people to— to a different on onto a different path. Well, here's the interesting that- thing. He says he says 
he says, uh, now I understand why you do what you do, and it's kind of backhanded, using the word of God to entice people to blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of that statement, he says, I hope that's not what you're doing. You just said that's what we're doing. Yeah, I'm going to keep going. So basically at this point, he is now, uh, he is now accused us of mishandling the gospel, which I called him on openly. I said, well, this, you know, I'm not even going to have this conversation with you. Because this is an ad hominem argument. Actually, actually, he's so close to discovering the truth. We really just want people to buy to our resource mugs. Yeah, we'll talk about That's that this, in a second. And we'll, talk, is, a, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. This is he, all a scam to sell mugs. Yeah, he goes on. Under, I understand I'm all for education, but even the most intelligent biblical scholars don't have it all correct. Dr. James White is a brilliant man and a bit debater, but his... Is his belief in the Torah for believers today correct? Well, parts of it are. He certainly believes in sanctification. How about the same with Dr. Michael Brown? The point is that the rules of hermeneutics isn't the end all for biblical interpretation. This is such a straw man argument. I, I he will. This is the thing about Carlos. He will not. He will not stick to topic. He instead he has to make up false accusations. And his his idea of what's going on, he goes on. The spirit of God is after all. So, and he says the point is that the rules of hermeneutics isn't the end all of biblical interpretation. The spirit of God is. I'm not sure what he means by that. Well, I mean, it, on general terms, is he saying yeah, that unless that, unless you're born from above, you, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven? So, sure, but is he that's, saying that that's is, is a he, work of God, not uh, and God's spirit, not? Of man, but is he so, saying? But, that, but that's almost that's like no one's disputing that point. I mean, is, we, is he we say, say that all the time. Is he saying though that that uh, that the way that he thinks God is is to, if if he thinks God is telling him something that trumps what uh, what a good hermeneutic of the Bible says? To me, it's to me it's an excuse to not have an to not come out and argue an an opinion. Yeah, of course, he's not risking anything. In other words, by his his comment. And his comments don't risk any any interpretation. Oh, he's, 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 he's not he's, he's not using he's not he's not responding to the issue at hand at all. Yeah, yeah. This is all. And a then deflection. there was another person on there talking about how that she had a degree. I think it was a she degree in psychology, and she knows that um, there you know, and then it had to do with word pictures. That her ability to read word pictures and to see things goes way beyond we would what we will be ever to. See able ever to see i was just like wow okay whatever you know <laughs> okay so so he goes on he says after all christianity's thirty thousand plus denominations can't all be right doesn't their division come down to difference differences in interpretation yes they do again i don't want to be your enemy well that's clear right by the way that you've talked the, telling us that we huckster the gospel to people to try to get students you're certainly making enemies pretty quick with that kind of language. Because basically he's saying you guys are just <clears throat> you're fake. Chuck Smith Chuck yeah. Smith uh promoted something uh, you know, for the sake of his son's welfare rather than to the word of God, and you guys are doing the same thing. So he says, uh uh maybe the focus of your criticism should be the false doctrines of Christian dogma instead of tearing down other Torah teachers who don't have it all together as you. It's Christians that need the truth and who would make great students of Torah Resource Institute. Actually, it's non-believers who need the truth. So that's also a straw man. Uh, and later he says, uh, well, okay, first of all, let's let's talk for a few seconds. I want to talk about the birth of, of the Robin Caleb show. I know that this isn't theological, but uh, every once in a while it's good to revisit why we do this, where, where we're coming from, and what we're, what we're here to do. <clears throat> Back in, what, 2010, I think it was, Actually, even before that, 2009, 2008, I started doing intros. I want since the age of ten, I wanted to uh, have uh, be a radio talk show host. Okay, I thought that uh, people like Rush Limbaugh, Michael Medved, and other non-religious people uh, who did talk shows, I loved listening to them. I thought it would be great to do something like that, but with uh, with a biblical flavor to it. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um. To accomplish that goal, what I started doing was I started podcasting and I started making intros and outros. People who are diehards for, for Torah Resource from way back in the day will remember this. <clears throat> My dad taught me give, – give me just a second. Let me cough here. 
Beep, yeah. Beep. Okay. So my dad, my dad uh, uh, taught me in Dreamweaver. Some might remember that program. Taught me in Dreamweaver how to make a page on Tor Resource, and I created a page, and then I would take one of my dad's teachings, like in Galatians or something, and I'd make an intro to it and an outro, and I try to do news and stuff like that, stuff that was going on in Tor Resource, and I'd try to make my intros as long as possible because really I wanted to be able to <clears throat> make my own podcast, but I didn't have the expertise to do that. And then when uh, when Gary Springer was brought on to Torah Resource, he was the first person to come on and try to actually help build a school. I was not part of the school at that point, and I'm still not really. Um, I'm, I'm part of what would be considered like the bookstore of, of Torah Resource or Torah Resource, you know, the bookstore uh, for the school. At the, at the time, Gary was, was, uh, had come on to help uh, start making changes so that they could actually launch the school. I told Gary that I wanted to create a show and that um, I thought it would be fun to have this kind of show where we uh, discussed uh, messianic apologetics. In other words, what I wanted to do was I wanted to look at various teachings. We got emails all the time. What do you do with Hebrew word pictures? What you know? What about this Olive Tov uh, teaching? What do you you know? What about this? What about that? So I thought it'd be fun to respond to the emails of people asking questions on air, kind of like the Bible Answer Man. I thought that would be a really good idea, but for messianics. When Rob was brought on, that's when it all came together. I thought it would be great for Rob, since he had the scholarly background, to be able to keep me in check while I talked, which has actually and worked And a out. lifelong dream to be Caleb's co-host. Yes, of course. But I, but at the, at the time, I didn't think that podcasting was working. So instead, I thought I needed a radio station. And this is where the birth of Tor Resource Radio came from. It was all to house the Rob and Caleb show. Now, granted, as soon as we uh, now Gary and I worked on uh, tour research. This was all what fall of two thousand thirteen or fourteen. Oh, no. oh uh, yeah. So, so actually, uh, Gary and I started. No. Wor- Gary started. Gary and I started working on the radio station at the beginning of two thousand thirteen. In the winter, like January of two thousand thirteen, and we worked on the radio station, getting it uh, all put together and everything. For quite some time. Finally, we launched the Robin Caleb show d- December of 2013. And by That's that right. point, uh, Tour Resource Radio was, I, I think that was the beginning of Tour Resource Radio. We launched Tour Resource Radio with the Robin Caleb show. Um, and so the the goal was to do like an, uh, a Bible answer man, but for Messianics. Now, once the radio station started, I think a lot of people realized that it was a, well, we certainly realized that Tor Resource Radio was actually a great way to reach people uh, who didn't have a lot of resources in remote places. People could listen if they had an internet connection, they could download things uh, and then then listen to them offline, all sorts of stuff like this. Um, so the radio station was actually, I think, a blessing from the Lord. Uh, but now that I look back at it, it was probably, it, we didn't need it for the Rob and Caleb show. We could have we could have podcasted the Rob and Caleb show like any other podcast. We didn't need the radio station. So I think that that was a little bit of the Lord's doing to, to give uh, believers, um, you know, uh, the uh, ability to have, have a resource like that. In the four years that we have been doing the Rob and Caleb show, my father and myself, I think Gary and I, we have all talked about stop stopping the Rob and Caleb show. And the reason why is because a lot of the emails that we get say that we're mean or that we, um, that we, you know, we're always coming down on other believers and whatnot. And we thought, we have honestly talked about this many, many, many times. We thought, have thought before, that this might look bad on Tor Resource Institute. It is exactly the opposite of what Carlos thinks. One of the reasons that we've, we haven't uh, promoted the Robin Caleb show more is because we, we want the focus to be Tor Resource Institute. The Robin Caleb show is just a some something that I've done to 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 fulfill uh, something that I've wanted to do for a very long time, which is to have a radio show. But okay, but wait, let me add a point. Yes, our prayer, you know, because we've got you know we pray together. We've got your father, we've got Gary, we've got Ariel Berkowitz, you, me, Michael, uh, and even back before uh, Michael joined, mm-hmm. praying for Lord, how can we maximize the 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 good sap of Torah resource out into the world 
and and grow in our ability and being good stewards. What does it look like to be good stewards of all this technology, right? And getting this out. And yeah. I think that to me is a big part of our of our growth. And in a way, I can see if you if you backed up from what is the Robin Caleb show and just say what is Torah resource, and you go back to the history, your dad owning a a print shop, um, you know, pursuing thinking he's just going to be a printer, right? And he's just going to be a printer, even though he's got his theology degree Mm -hmm. and a passion for teaching the Bible. Am I just going to be a printer? And then how that got into sending printed materials to people who were requesting. Yep. Right. It's, it's, it's like a ship that started going. Now the ship is, is the anchored position of the one Torah position. That's just what it is. And, and uh, now the tree has grown and grown and there's been places parting ways, like with the whole thing that happened in the late uh, 2000s with the other group that, that your dad was affiliated with that. And your dad's like, no, sorry, you know, but who changed, who changed this other group did. Yeah. But, but the core, it's just slow and steady. It's like, it's like the ox plowing the field. Coming every once in a while, you come across a big boulder, and you got to work to get that boulder out of the field. But we're plowing the field, planting the field, and uh, so I see, I see what you know the Robin Caleb show. I see what we do with Michelet, what Gary yeah. and I do with Michelet, and then all the other things that we do. The just the music that that people can listen to on the radio. All of that stems from the same core. It's one, it's the same seed at the core of all those. Um, but what I think is cool is that the Lord put in your heart to do some sort of radio program that that was, you know, he, he said, Caleb, I'm going to put that, that itch in you. And then down the road, he's going to bless you and give you joy in saying, not only are you going to do it, but you're going to do it. And I'm going to give you a program, you know, a voice to help edify my flock. Well, and, that, and that, that's just the thing is that now, now that we've seen, you know, we talked about stopping the Robin Caleb show two years ago. Now that we've, now that the show has gone, you know, almost three and a half years now, what we're realizing is that a lot of people are starting to uh, get to know uh, various points of theology through our, you know, through the Robin Caleb show's short videos on YouTube. So the Lord's using it for something. Um, and so Baruch Hashem for that. But to accuse someone of, of huckstering the gospel in order to get students, this is a huge, huge, I mean, this is ad hominem for sure. It's a huge straw man. And basically— I feel like they're not really listening, though. If someone listens to us and they, then that's what they come away with, then I don't know. I, what do you say to that? So, well, I called him on it, and later he says, you don't take criticism very well at all. But are very good at dishing it out. Okay, now let's stop here. Let's uh, let's let's talk about this. First of all, one of the things that I have always tried to do is attack theology, not attack person. Now, uh, granted, I have said that somebody is is pushing a false gospel before, right? I think everybody knows that. Who did I who did I say that about? It's Shapira. Okay, I said that Itzhak Shapira was was uh, pushing a false gospel, but I never attacked Itzhak Shapira as a person. I laid out why I thought that what he was teaching was false, and I di- and I did it from the from the scriptures. I think that he thought he responded well to the uh, to, to that claim. Um, I don't I don't think it really was the best of of discussions, but whatever. My, I laid out my argument about theology. Okay, now if this person wants to, right, talk- we we published a, a review of the book, right? So yeah. it's, there's no. There's no question if someone wanted to say, I wonder what Torah resources, you know, what did they put on the kosher pig book? Well, they, they could find our discussion, our live discussion, and they could find our article. So no mysteries there. Go ahead. Yeah. So the point is, is that the, this was an attack on theology. Okay. And I laid out the reason why I said it was a false gospel. This, this Carlos person Lays out nothing. He just says, oh, I get it now. You're, you're pushing a false gospel. Show me. Show me where that is. 
first of all. Second of all, this is not the way to do argument. If you want to actually be critical of someone's theology, be critical of someone's theology. This whole thing came out because of Hebrew word pictures. And my, my challenge to anyone, to anyone, is to find a Hebrew alphabet that in some form, when we see the inscriptions, is not an ABCdery. That means it's not an alphabet. It's not being used as an alphabet, but is being used as Hebrew word pictures. I don't think you can find it. You can't find Hebrew being used as Hebrew word pictures on any inscriptions, any stellas, any manuscripts, nothing. Every single time that we see Hebrew, whether it's whether it's uh, uh, Paleo-Hebrew or whatever font it may be in, it's used as an ABCdery. The burden of proof is not on me. You show me, you show me any evidence that Hebrew was used as a Hebrew word picture system. Not now, only that, it, and, and this is that article that I'm hoping, maybe Michael already put it up, uh, the one, the decoding one that hadn't made it online. I knew sure, there's sure. a lot going on. Anyway, is that it's not even Hebrew, right? If we go back to what uh, Petrovich is arguing about those Sinai inscriptions from the middle, you know, second millennium BC, and we look at uh, Christopher Rollins' point is like, look, there's nothing in this that makes it Hebrew over any of the other Northwest Semitic languages, such as, you know, Phoenician, uh, Canaanite, right? Uh, Aramaic, Edomite. And with the exception of Ugaritic, they all use pretty much the same writing system. And so if you decode a word, if you take the book of Genesis, let's say, and you take the Masoretic text, but you take all the olives and you reprint it with an ox head image, and you take all the bets and you reprint, you know, so all the alphabet looks like like the, the pictographs, and then you start interpreting it. It's just, it, it's so backwards and upside down. Um, because you should be able to take some of the, that same core vocabulary that exists in the other Semitic language in the, what they call Northwest Semitics or, you know, in, in the area we call Israel and the environs there. They, like the Moabite stone, for example. Do the Hebrew word pictures work on the Moabite stone? Well, it's all the same alphabet. A yod is a hand, right? A resh is a head, you know. Now, of course, it's a, it's a refined script, but it's still what they call a paleo alphabet. Um, so it's it, it's really frustrating how people will take, and this this is why I think the danger is new religions being built. It really becomes a new religion because just like Mormonism, it can become a symbolic system that people are totally sold into and it provides some sort of mystery or feeling of what I call the Indiana Jones discovery that is associated. There's a there's some sort of emotional reward with this discovery of mysteries that that work around what actual scholarship, <laughs> you know, with the tradition of of, of scholarship, um, because it doesn't engage that. It it tries to uh, it, build new worlds of meaning based off uh, a symbol system that was never used by Moses or the prophets or Yeshua or any of that. But you can't, but how do you convince someone otherwise? The two people, the the Carlos, well, maybe Carlos was, uh, if I remember right, but the other person who was, I think it was a gal who was on that post, she's like advertising her own teachings saying that she sees all sorts of things in, in the Hebrew word pictures. And she teaches them to people. So uh, the, the point is, the point is, is that, you know what, this, you know, just because you don't have an argument, don't, don't start throwing around the idea that people are, are selling a false gospel. This is, this is what's called an ad hominem argument. If you don't, if you can't, if you can't support your argument, if you can't show evidence of something then then don't just attack people. And especially for Carlos, if you're not trying to make enemies, certainly don't use that kind of argument. Stop making straw men. 
building them up and then knocking them down. It doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. And until you're willing to have a, a genuine, real conversation about the issue, it's not worth having. It's not, it's not a conversation that is worth having. I think people take discipleship too lightly. Yeshua says they count the cost, right? You know, who goes to war without first counting the cost? I think these people are like the people who are pushing the Hebrew word pictures. They are like, and, th- and that's their bailiwig or whatever. That's their shtick. They are like, in the parable, they're like a king who, who sees a big army and he says, oh, I'm going to go battle him, but doesn't sit down first to say, hmm, how many people do they have versus how many, what's the size of my army? Hmm, do you think I'm going to be able to survive? They just charge. Because they think they have it, and in the long run, they're going to get it, it's. They're going to look back and they're going to see wasted years and damage done. That's well, that's my. Here, here's the thought. other interesting thing. Uh, so you know, uh, I talked about very briefly about uh, about uh, Itzhak Shapira and the theological difference differences that we have. Itzhak Shapira and I uh, waged a fierce, fierce battle against each other online. Mm-hmm. Right? I think everybody knows that. Um, and, and, uh, I stand by, I stand by the, the criticism that I had then. Guess who I talked to on Shabbat on a, on a phone conversation? It's Shapira. It's Shapira and I had a wonderful conversation over the phone. He was very cordial and very nice to me as I hope, and I hope I was reciprocal of that. Um, and <clears throat> he called me because, uh, so somebody, uh, hacked into his school's site, which is a very serious matter. Um, and uh, made a fake profile of me and uh, then sent an uh, email to all of the students in the school uh, posing as me. And, of course, uh, Itzhak Shapira called me and said, this is what's going on. We know it wasn't you. So we he know- did – yeah, he knows – He here's what's a beautiful thing. Baruch Hashem. This says a lot about his character. He's like, he, I know it's not Caleb. Yeah, of right? course. He knew – it's not like – Caleb, did you do this? It's like, okay, we know it's not you. Not only did he know it's not me, they know everyone. I knew exactly who it was instantaneously, and so did he. And the funny thing is, is that the person who did this was trying to sow discord between, uh, you know, between us so that, I don't know, maybe it's actually Shapiro would come out and say something against me or whatever. Instead, it did exactly the opposite. It brought us together and and wow. uh, and allowed us to to chat on a very civil and and uh, uh, you know a good level. Uh, you know, I, I, once again, I will continue always to say I don't think that Itzhak Shapira is maliciously trying to lead people astray. I think that his heart is in the right place. I just disagree with him. I disagree with him theologically. You know, um, but you know, we had a, we had a very good conversation. So. Um, and this is the point is that, uh, you know, to say that I can't take criticism, I certainly can take criticism when you criticize the right things, criticize theology, don't criticize person, you know, and if you're going to, if you're going to criticize theology, you have an argument. I have to pause on the back. Okay. So someone who proclaims to be a believer in Yeshua and actually calls themselves a teacher assuming this is a person that we think it is, and produces materials for people, teaching them, goes on to a a private network of a school, creates an account under a, uh, to deliberately misrepresent another person. In other words, and to impersonate you to sow discord. Yeah. And to try to do it secretly. That is, that is, Satan. Yeah. I mean, what, what, what else is that? What, that is not the spirit of Messiah. (laughs) That is, that is like the anti-Messiah evil. Yeah. That is evil deceit and lie. That line, (laughs) the chat room, that's a crime. Yeah. And and I think (laughs) that's identity theft. theft. Yeah. Okay. Let's keep going. We, uh, I, uh, Rob has to get out of here in uh, like 20 minutes and we, we have like eight more topics to get to. So we're, we're not going to get to them. One of the things that people wanted us to talk about, we'll do this very quickly. One of the things that people wanted us to talk about is preterism. Preterism, for those who don't know, is the idea uh, that it, that uh, the biblical prophecy already happened. Uh, so there's preterism and then there's hyperpreterism. I'm going fast here because I think we can get through this in a couple of minutes and then we can get to Ryan's uh, question, which is a very good question as well. Um, 
a lot of people want us to talk about preterism. And the reason why is because partial preterism versus hyperpreterism. And I'll give you a couple of names here. Partial preterism is, is supported by people like Dr. Kenneth Gentry and also uh, Kenneth Talbot. These gentlemen are what is called partial preterists. This is the idea. And and Gentry makes Dr. Kenneth Gentry makes a great point. Uh, he he makes the point that all of us, if uh, if you believe that Jesus came, died on the cross, and that um, there are still uh, uh, revelations to come, then you're somewhat of a partial preterist. Okay, I understand his argu- argument. However, what partial preterism really uh, teaches is that Jesus came back in the year seventy A.D. That was his second coming in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed, and that most of Revelation was uh, was fulfilled in 70 AD. And this is how they then are able to deal with the uh, with the passages where Jesus says, "These th- uh, this generation will not pass away until you see these things ha- uh, come to pass." Uh, th- things like this. Okay, um, I think that there are significant problems with partial preterism, and uh, I think that there's there's a big ch- uh, a big gap in the armor uh, of of this of this. Uh, this theology, um, namely that uh, now you have uh, partial preterists picking and choosing which uh, which prophecies and revelation and whatnot they want to have come true. Now, granted, I think that the response to that would be, well, you guys do that too, right? You say that there are certain things that haven't been fulfilled yet. We say that there, you know, but I don't see Yeshua coming back in um, in in seventy. I I just don't see that. Hyperpreterism is much easier to refute. And this is why. Um, so uh, the um, one of the main names uh, in hyperpreterism is Don Preston, Don K. Preston. Now, granted, hyperpreterism, there's all different flavors of hyperpreterism, and they all have their own little factions. Some people are going to say, no, 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 Don, uh, you know, Dr. Preston, he's, he's, he doesn't represent uh, hyperpreterism. However, I think that uh, the majority of what I've seen, he does. Listen to what he says. This is his hypothesis. Now, he's talking about the book of Daniel, okay? And he's talking, he's setting up um, what his view of, of hyperpreterism is uh, and, and how it works. Listen to what he says. Now, please pay very careful attention. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all, not some, not most, not a little bit, all of these things shall be fulfilled. Let's do a quick analysis, therefore, of Daniel chapter 12. This is the resurrection at the end of the age. Resurrection, verse 2, the end of the age, verse 3. And it would occur, verse 7, quote, when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, unquote. The question naturally needs to be answered, who are Daniel's holy people? In order for Daniel chapter 12 to be be predictive of the resurrection at the end of the Christian age, Daniel's holy people must be the church. That will not work. The power of the holy people, if the resurrection of Daniel chapter... Okay, hang on just a second. I want to stop right there. I I, I think he, he brings up an interesting point. This can't be the church. This cannot be the church. I, I, I think I agree with him on that. The power of the holy people, if the resurrection of Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 occurs at the end of the Christian age, must be the destruction of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all of those who believe, Romans chapter 116. Now I want you to notice, the kingdom of Christ has no end, Daniel 7. The gospel, which is the power of the body of Christ, again Romans 116, will never be destroyed. Jesus himself affirmed that. Daniel's holy people was none other than Old Testament Israel, and her power and Israel's only power, the only power she ever possessed, was her covenant relationship with the Lord. Now what that means is that the resurrection would be when Israel... And when her covenant relationship with Yahweh was completely shattered. The resurrection would occur when Israel's covenant relationship with God was terminated. That was in A.D. 70. Okay, this is why I think hyperpreterism is absolute nonsense. You have to get rid of Israel as the covenant people of God in order to make hyperpreterism work. 
What he's saying is, is that the covenant made with Israel was shattered when Yeshua rose from the dead. This is nonsense. This, is, this brings in total supersessionism. He is totally now into replacement theology. That is that the church has replaced Israel as God's covenant people. I'm sorry, I don't see it. That's not how the scriptures talk. Yeah, this is the same thing I, I forgot to, to write our, our friend back, uh, Jeffrey, from we talked about him last week. You know, this is the, the basically the same thing. He's, he's, Jeffrey's kind of, and I, I know I have to get back to him. Jeffrey, if you're listening, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll write you again. Uh, this is the same, you know, Jeffrey's essentially doing a quasi-supersessionism as well. That he is, you know, that, that America's the lost tribes. <laughs> anyway, um, the, the point is, is that the reason that I think that hyperpreterism is, is complete nonsense is because I don't see the scriptures saying that Israel is no longer God's people, that the church replaces Israel. No, those for, who are Gentiles, who come into covenant relationship with the Lord, expand what Israel is. They don't replace, they come into Israel. It's not the other way around. Israel doesn't become Christian. Those who come into covenant relationship with the Lord become a part of Israel. Rob? Well, I wonder how, I mean, this, I don't listen to this teacher, so, but like, how would he, how do you think he'd answer like Romans 11? Like, interesting, all Israel will be saved. Does int- he bring int- that up? Interesting you uh, say that because Dr. Michael Brown has an entire debate with him on uh, a specific chapter in Romans on whether or not uh, God's house has been, or uh, God's, uh, God's people uh, are no longer Israel, but rather the church instead. So, I mean, there's, there's hours and hours of teachings that I didn't have time to get to because I just, I simply just don't, you know, this was the stopping point for me. This was like five minutes into the first video that I listened to. I said, oh, this is ridiculous. This certainly can't work. So that would be my response to those who are leaning towards hyperpreterism. I do have to do more work, and I'm sorry that I haven't. I do have to do more work on uh, Dr. Kenneth Gentry's uh, beliefs. He's written books on the idea that Revel- now to make his theory work, he says that Revelation was written uh, before the, the uh, before like fifty, like in fifty. He says it's very early, written before the destruction of the temple. I think that most scholars disagree with him on that, but he's written all, an entire book on it. So I'm, I would have to, uh, I, I would have to, uh, to to look into that. I haven't taken the time to do that, and I apologize for that. Anything else on uh, preterism, hyperpreterism? I know it was a really short little segment there, but I, I you only got twelve minutes left, so I got one more that we. Well, can I just through. I wonder about, you know, and again, I'm coming from an outsider to this teacher or what community he's part of and and what their lives look like, but. You know, one of these things we see with the the big pe- the people teaching prophecy, right? It's like, remember in the '90s, it was like the seventh millennium. Rude was seventh millennium, right? Yeah, yeah. He had the day the Messiah was going to come back, and it's weird. I mean, you look back, you're like, really? And then we saw, was it Harold Camping? Who was the guy? And he ended up dying, but he they spent millions of dollars putting billboards up all around the world. Yep. Um, just like what, five years ago or so saying that the, the end of time was good or, you know, judgment day was going to be on a certain day and, and people get so hyped up. I wonder if uh, a couple things, one, do people get numbed? Like I, you know, from being bombarded with blood moons and then it's Shemitah and then it's, uh, 70 nations are gathering against Israel and you know, every season we're getting bombarded with yeah, these things. Yeah, there's always something. <laughs> so, do I wonder? Do people who, because I only have my own experience, you know, know people I've talked to, but to me, there's like, I, I, to me, it wasn't numbing was not the solution. It's like, okay, I just, no, I don't even know what to do. It was like, you know, I, I want to use my God-given brain, and I don't believe God wants us to be running around, you know, chasing after one thing after another without being grounded without being rooted and grounded in, in his love, in his word, and being fruitful. So I want to know, where's the, where is the fruit? How are people's lives changed by these kinds of doctrines? So let's say, so, so I would imagine, if we take this guy's view and we just let it go to its logical end, is that the Torah doesn't apply, right? So he's, I would imagine, is he an, you know, 
Easter on ham or a ham on Easter kind of guy. Like then in other words, he's in a new symbolic world where, where God's commandments are done away, but yet he somehow represents the fullness of the truth of God's prophetic word. Is that how he imagines himself? And he's teaching others the same. And then it's just a matter of, I well, don't know. The, the, just, the, I, the idea is that God's reigning, that, that Yeshua is reigning from, from heaven now, and that uh, we're, you know, the, they're... So there are the Dominion theologians, right? And what's the guy's name? Uh, they've written a lot of books. Dominion, in other words, they actually believe that Christians are to build wealth and to buy up property, right? To actually grow and have economic prosperity, because not as a prosperity gospel, but as so that you have a lot of of wealthy Christian capitalists, that that is like this dominion, that that is actually the domain of the Lord in the world is the property and wealth of his followers. Um, and if that's the case, how, how are you going to, you have the Protestant strain or, you know, you have an American evangelical or whatever strain against the Catholic Church that has more wealth than, <laughs> you know, than I think. Well, Mormons, the Mormons have the most. Yeah, money. Mormons is another one. Um, anyway, I'm just, I haven't, these are all half-baked thoughts. This okay, let, let's, we, we, we only got nine minutes left. Uh, okay. Rob, Rob has to skip out. I want to answer Ryan's question. Ryan says, you seem to be somewhat critical of those who use Strong's numbers. Why is this? And what would you recommend to those who aren't experts in Hebrew and want to engage in the original language? We've done a whole show on Strong's numbers, and uh, my father has written a paper, which I will uh, post in response to Ryan's uh, questions. Let me give a quick rundown, and um, and then, Rob, you can jump in and, and tie up any loose ends. Strong's numbers is not a lexicon, which means uh, lexicon is a fancy word for dictionary. Um, uh, theological dictionary. Um, the, the basically what Strong's numbers is doing is it's telling you how the King James version translators translated right. a word. It's not a lexicon. It's not a dictionary. It's a concordance. Yeah. So, so use it as a concord. Use it as a concordance, and it's a great tool. Yeah. So if I want to know, okay, King James, uh, the King James translators translated this word here, and I want to see if if uh, if the English word is different over here, but I want to see if it's the same Hebrew word. I would go to my Strong's numbers and see if that strong number is in the same two places. And I think they've published an NIV, Strong's Concordance to NIV as well. So if you start off, if your study Bible's in NIV or if your Bible's a King James and maybe even a couple other versions, you can find a Strong's Concordance matched to that version that you own. And it's, and it's a tool that is... That it, Right, it's like yeah, a blender. But, but, but it's, you know, but, you're not gonna. But it's not. You like, don't grind your coffee with your your blender. So, but the right? point, yeah. But the point is, is that you wouldn't go in to see what the word means. It's not. A, it's not a dictionary. Right. In other it words, does I can't, give. That usually gives quick little glosses. It, it gives ways that it's been translated. Ways that it's been it's translated, but that's in not, that translation. In that translation, yeah. but not necessarily how we see it within the ancient Near East or anything like that. If you want right. something like that, then you would use halot and bedeg. There's others and, as well. And even having the lexicons uh, are inadequate in themselves because unless you have sure. an understand the difference between a ver- Greek verb and a Greek noun or a Hebrew verb and a Hebrew noun and how they how context works and the difference between poetry, right, biblical poetry or narrative, difference, you know, all these kinds of things come into play uh, to to have a confident uh, opinion about what a text means. I mean, the most, let's just start from the ideal. And this is a high calling. This is what I meant earlier. The people, I think people think of the calling of being a teacher of God's word. I think they take it too lightly. They don't think in advance what the calling entails. Well, uh, hey, it, <clears throat> okay, you might be right, but here, let's let's answer uh, Ryan's uh, question specifically. Okay. If you have if you have a teacher who is using if he's referencing things and then referencing a Strong's number, first of all, he doesn't realize how Strong's numbers works. 
Second of all, he doesn't have a good understanding of the languages themselves because he wouldn't reference Strong's numbers. He would be able to talk about the word itself, which means that the teacher that you're listening to doesn't have uh, any good working within the, within the original languages. So these are just red flags. It's not that that person might not have something good to say. They might have something great to say. But the point is, is that you can know a couple of things straight off the bat. First of all, the person doesn't understand how Strong's numbers what Strong's Numbers is. It's not a lexicon. So if a person is using it as a, uh, to be a dictionary for the Hebrew or the Greek languages, they're not using it correctly. That's not, and so therefore, if they say, well, this word means this because the Strong's Number is this, no, you've made, two, you've made jumps that are not appropriate jumps. That, that's not how you can use Strong's Numbers. You can say the King James Version translates it like this in this place and in this place, but it has no bearing on what the rest of the ancient Near East has done or any other outside witnesses or anything like that. And second of all, it means that the person doesn't have a good understanding of the, of the, of the languages. And this can mean something when you're listening to a teacher. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't use Strong's numbers? No, you can use Strong's numbers as long as you use them appropriately. As a concordance. As a concordance. Yeah. Okay. Well, we, a, it's, it's just a concordance. I hope that answers the question. I, and I would say that uh, a good Bible software always will help. And using things like uh, lexicons, a real lexicon like BDAG, Halote, other lexicons will work as well. Brown Driver and Briggs is what I'm talking Anyway, so uh, these kind of things are, are good tools. Uh, we had some other questions that were sent to us, one by uh, Larry. Uh, he, he actually was talking about uh, the mark of the beast. Um, I mean, things in Revelations are things we don't like talking about a lot of the time. But um, anyway, um, I, I hope that uh, I hope that this has answered some questions. Next week, we're going to try to come back we'll, and do uh, something a little bit more in depth, and we won't have a time restraint. Hopefully, next week. Anything else before we go, Rob? I know that you you're the one who's got to run. Um, no, I'm just I'm excited. I'm excited for for the seasons to come and and what we're doing and. I liked that bug life thing made me laugh. Uh, and I, we need to laugh. You know, you know, like we talk with one of the things we wanted to do just to kind of bring it back to the Robin Caleb show is we wanted to be able to laugh a little bit. Um, yeah, because <laughs> there's so much that we can get discouraged by and be frustrated with. Um, it's good to laugh. It's yeah. good to laugh. Okay, don't forget our comment line. Go ahead and call us. Leave, leave us comments. We love hearing them, 253-465-3205. Um, you can also, don't forget that you can get a 10% off of anything at yeshuashirts.com. You can do that by putting TR Radio in the comment box, or in the uh, coupon box at checkout, rather. And, of course, never forget that uh, you can find all sorts of great stuff on TorahResource.com, right? Uh, but uh, one thing that Rob and I want to stress and this is the goal of what we're trying to do. We are trying to enlighten people on theology. We're trying to hold theology up under a microscope and saying, does it actually hold up? And why do we do that? Because we want to have a better relationship with God. We want his word to illuminate. Instead of being a, a misdirection, we want to illuminate the scriptures and we want to do it so that we can really praise and worship and glorify our great, God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah.